Let's go to our, our Lord in prayer and ask that he would give us mercy to hear him. Lord Jesus, come and be present among us now. Be present among us that we would see, see your glory and see your beauty, that we could see how kind you have been to us, how merciful you've been to us, and we could delight in you. Do that by the power of your Spirit. As you poured out your Spirit on the disciples, pour it out on us that we would go forth in boldness to proclaim the gospel after it becomes the treasure of our hearts. Amen. Just over two and a half years ago, Molly and I went to Uganda and spent some significant time there to pursue our adoption. And I couldn't help but feel like so often, even though we were surrounded by people, I felt so often like I was alone. We stood out quite a bit culturally among those people. We wore different clothes. The way we engaged interaction with other people was different. And then, of course, we spoke a different language. And we were one of few white people in the entire country. Sure, the locals knew a little bit of English because English is a trade language all over the world. And so they would try to be comforting and helpful and friendly by speaking in some broken English. And there were even many who professed to be Christians. So we had this shared faith. But I couldn't help but feel like there were still some major barriers between us. Even though we were surrounded by people, it was like there was this invisible wall there keeping us from true unity together. And this feeling inside just created this longing just to go home. We wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. Get back to all the comforts of familiarity. The taste of a good crock pot, hot dish, potluck meal. Grocery stores that have all your favorite brands, including cheese that doesn't smell like red dirt. The smells of fresh cut grass and the the endearing sounds of a good Midwestern accent. This feeling grows in you as, as you're surrounded by discomfort. But as we've been seeing through the book of Matthew over the last few months, Jesus is bringing his kingdom here on earth and establishing it all over the earth in such an upside down way. So imagine that you could go to the other side of the world and there meet complete strangers and feel just as at home among them as around your own dinner table. That's the trajectory of the Bible. That's the work that God's been doing from the very beginning and that we're going to focus on today in Acts chapter 2. Today is Pentecost, as Curtis mentioned already, which traditionally is the day that we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and power to the church. And we remember the call on our lives to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. And we at Redemption City Church love to emphasize missions as often as we can, but today we get to do it even more through our singing and in our prayers and in our preaching. And we'll see if any of you brought some meals from around the world. I'll be excited to try it. This way that we can celebrate God's plan to take the gospel to the nations. But to help us understand that theological heart behind this vision of ours at Redemption, we're going to look at the beginning of this movement in Acts chapter 2. And not just chapter 2, but go throughout the Bible as quickly as we can and see where it all began. 
right when God created everything. And then we'll fast forward through to our time and see what God has in mind for us to bring about his plans to have all of us gather as one nation under King Jesus. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. We'll see where God made this mission really take off among the apostles in the early church. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each one of us in our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, after reading through this text and hearing a little bit about Pentecost already, you might be wondering what in the world does speaking in other languages have to do with missions? This miraculous work of God among these people that so many claim today gives them some new spiritual language. But I want us to see today that this text has far less to do with some charismatic gifts or ecstatic spiritual experiences and more to do with God's plan to redeem all of creation in Christ. So my goal today is to show us from Acts and many other scriptures that by His Spirit, Jesus is reversing the curse and enabling us to all finally fulfill His great command to multiply and fill the earth. At the end of the text that I just read, the people ask in verse 12, what does this all mean? Which leads to the answer, that Jesus is reversing the curse and enabling us to multiply and fill the earth. But before we jump into Acts chapter 2, I think it would be more helpful to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and see what sets the stage for Acts 2. So instead of giving you an outline, here's two points for this text that we're going to see how it supports that, I just want to go all the way back to the beginning and walk us through the story of Scripture and see how it culminates in this very moment and how Acts calls us then to join in this great work of God. So let's go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth. And he did all of this beautiful work in six days. And on the sixth day, he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and gives them a special task. He calls them his image bearers. They are to reflect his 
character, his nature, and have dominion over the earth so that wherever they go, however they work, people should look at them and say, that's how God is. But then he expands on this calling on their lives in chapter 1, verse 28, saying they should be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They weren't supposed to do this alone. This image bearing should expand the boundaries of the garden. They should have more and more children and spread it out until it covers the whole earth. But they failed at this task. They were supposed to reflect God's glory everywhere and instead they began to reflect the nature of Satan. And so God cursed them. He banished them from the garden. They couldn't stay there anymore. And He was going to make them multiply outside the garden, but it would be filled with pain and a broken image. So eventually sin, instead of God's glory, spreads around the earth. After a few generations, the evil has so thoroughly filled the earth that God decided, I'm just going to start over. Let's just wipe everybody out and I'm going to pick Noah and his family and they will be my new creation humanity. So he says, get into this big boat. Stay there because I'm going to flood everything. The whole earth covered in water like it was at the beginning, representing a new creation coming out. And then the chapter 9, verse 1, the waters of new creation recede and Noah gets out of the boat and God says to Noah, The same thing he said to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill this earth. Same command for a new humanity. Resulting in the same failure. Within just a couple of generations already, we see the curse on Ham and his son Canaan for their sin. Sin has already spread to everybody. Again, the water couldn't wipe it out. And now, in Genesis 11, the whole earth rises together to unite as one nation to make a name for themselves. God said, spread out over the earth. And they said, no. He said, go make a name for me. And they said, no, we will stay here and make a name for ourselves. And I think this text is a key for our text in Acts chapter 2. Genesis 11 says that at that time, everyone spoke the same language. This made it possible for all these multiple nations that came from Noah's sons in Genesis 10 to come together and make this super nation. They were going to be mighty like God. The same temptation that Adam and Eve fell into. How foolish are we to think in our sin that we can build our way up to heaven. That we can reject God and still find happiness. So I imagine God sitting up there shaking his head going, look at these guys. They think they can put bricks together and somehow make it up into my glory. It's just foolishness. How am I going to put this rebellion down? I can't destroy the earth by water again. God promised Noah he wasn't going to do that. And so in order to achieve this new humanity that covers the earth, reflecting his glory, he's going to have to do something a little more creative. So God just snaps his fingers And suddenly, all these different nations, these tribes that came from Noah's sons, speak different languages. They can't understand one another to work on building a tower together. How are they going to work together to build a society that makes a a name for themselves? So, naturally, they disperse. They scatter. Like I wanted to in Uganda. And I couldn't 
communicate well with other people. I just wanted to go home. And likewise, they wanted to go home, make a new home somewhere else. And so they scattered. But God still wants to fill the earth with his image. He still wants them to go. And now they're just a broken image. What's he going to do now that he's scattered them? He quickly, in Genesis 12, grabs a hold of one of these wandering men, wandering tribes, grabs one of those men and pulls him out and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I am going to bless you so much that your, your children are going to become such a great nation that all the nations on the earth are going to find blessing from you, under you. Somehow, Abraham didn't understand, but God promised that somehow his children were going to accomplish God's unified people around the earth. And then in the book of Exodus, we see a new nation is born. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7 says, And they multiplied greatly. This finally might be it, a reader is supposed to think. We, he promised Abraham there would be this great multitude of a nation, and now they're multiplying. Finally, God is going to accomplish his purpose to fill the earth with his image, glorious image. And we see hints in the law and the prophets from this nation that they say, yes, one day it's going to happen. The whole earth will be filled with God's glory. But we also see consistently in the record in these prophets that they could not do it either. They failed to even honor God in their own little corner of the world in Israel. How would they do it all over the earth? So God did the same. He cursed them just like He cursed Adam and Noah and made them scatter. He sent the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Romans to destroy their land and to take them out and spread them all over the earth. God's people were judged again and spread out because of their unfaithfulness, cursed for their disobedience. We have three great brand new human societies in Adam and Noah and Israel. And every time, three curses. How is God going to accomplish his plan to spread his image throughout the earth? And then we get to the New Testament. One more time, just one more time, God is going to start over. He's going to begin a new society by picking up the pieces of all those failed humanities and putting them back together in a way that reverses the curses and finally fulfills all of his promises. And it starts with the new Adam named Jesus. The Gospels tell this incredible story of how Jesus, his life mirrors all of these different stories of the Old Testament. He's a new Adam, a new Moses, a new Israel, but without all of their disobedience. He's the son of Noah and Shem, the son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, the son of David. He too was born into this new calling, into this mission of a new humanity through waters in his own baptism. And he walked a life of trial and temptation, but unlike all the others, he remained faithful. He was everything that Adam and Noah's sons and Israel and David's sons failed to be. And yet, we get to the end of the story of the Gospels and we expect, finally, we're going to see human flourishing everywhere. It's just going. But instead, 
the hope is quickly extinguished as this new Adam is killed. God appears to have failed in his mission again. The fourth time was not the charm. This new humanity in Jesus appears cursed right from the beginning. What's, what are they going to do? What are the disciples going to do now? And then three days later, he gloriously, miraculously rises from the dead. Death could not hold him down. God's plans will not be thwarted. The curse had no effect on him. On the cross, he hung there bearing the curse of Adam and Noah and Israel and all who put their trust in him. And that curse could not hold him down. He's the perfect image bearer that God is going to spread through millions of people all over the earth so that everybody who trusts in Christ can finally have their image restored and they can go and be on this mission because the curse of sin and death was taken away on the cross. So how is he going to accomplish his plan now to fill the earth with his image? Now we get to Acts chapter 2. In the book of Acts, it follows the story of the Gospels chronologically. So Jesus dies and rises from the dead, and he's hanging out with disciples, and we wonder, what happens next? How do we get from Jesus, this one guy in Jerusalem, to a church that's filling and influencing the whole Roman Empire? And that's what Luke is doing, writing the book of Acts. He's writing to a generation 30, 40 years later, who says, I see Christians everywhere I go around this world. How did that happen? And Luke says, well, check this out. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus was hanging out with his disciples and he says, you got to take this news of my resurrection everywhere. Start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, Samaria, take it to the ends of the earth. So they're all excited, but he says, just wait. I'm going to send a helper, someone to help you be on this mission. I told you at the end of Matthew, which wasn't written at the time when he said that, but I told you that I would be with you always. How is Jesus going to be with each one of them always wherever they go if they scatter in different directions? He says, I will send a helper. So wait. And then we see the disciples wait. They gather together, about 120 of them, including many of the women who stayed with Jesus through his death, they witnessed his resurrection. They're all gathered in a house to pray and wait for this helper. And then our text in Acts 2 is the fulfillment of those prayers and Jesus' promise. The Holy Spirit comes. He is the helper, the one who is going to help them finally accomplish God's vision of spreading around the earth his own glory. And Pentecost is just the first fruits of that great harvest gathering the nations. So what does Acts tell us is going on here? How, how should we see this happening in the text? Well, as the disciples are praying, suddenly the room is filled with just the sound of a mighty, mighty rushing wind, but they're not actually being carried off. And they open their eyes and they see fire everywhere, but they're not getting burned. What's going on? And then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that happens is they begin to speak in other languages. This is miraculous. Languages they'd never learned. And we know it's not some spiritual, angelic, heavenly language because of what follows right after. 
Verses 5 and 6 tell us there's people there from every nation under heaven. And these people from every nation are wandering around and they hear this sound. So they all come together and they say, wait a second, I'm hearing you talk in my native language. Yes, we all speak Greek a little bit because that's the trade language like English is today. But I can hear you speak in a way that only hundreds of people back home can speak. What's going on? What's the meaning of this? This would be like if some of my friends from Uganda showed up and worshipped with us on a Sunday morning. And while we're praying, a bunch of you start speaking in Luo or Lugandan. And they turn around and, what? Did you grow up in Uganda? You sound like a fluent Luo speaker. What is going on? What does this mean? They would be quite confused as well. But we should see that this isn't just some super cool way to go preach the gospel to people around the world that that we can't speak with. Like we would send missionaries to some unreached people group and not give them any language training because, oh, we'll just trust that God will give you some miraculous language when you get there. What we're actually seeing here is the reversal of the curses in the Old Testament. Undoing everything that went wrong in Israel and Noah and in Adam. The reunification of all nations under the heavens into one nation, as God promised to Abraham. Under one king, as God promised to David, King Jesus. How do we see that? All these nations gathering together. First, we can notice in verse 5 how it says, every nation under heaven was gathered there. But interestingly, if you look at a map and from this list in verses 8 through 10, if you put all those nations and regions on a map, it doesn't really cover the whole globe. In fact, it just covers northeast, east, and southeast, or this way for you guys, part of the Mediterranean Sea. So just this little corner of land there, he says, is every nation under heaven. So some people, some commentators suggest, well, this is, this is basically the expanse of the Roman Empire. And they're saying, the way, the way they're saying this is just to say, hey, this is the part of the nation, part of the world that really matters. This is really the whole world. Others might explain that this is typical Jewish superlative language where you would say so many people were there by saying everybody gathered there. It was incredible when you don't really mean everybody. But I think it actually does mean everybody. I think it goes far deeper than that. This list is so specific. Why would Luke write in this book such a specific list of nations that were gathered there? So I'm asking this question to myself in my study, and I go into investigator mode, and I map these 16 nations and regions out around the Mediterranean Sea, and I start to ponder more of the connection between Pentecost and the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. And I'm noticing even more connections between the confusion in the languages of Pentecost and Babel. In both cases, there's confusion. In one case, languages are confusing people so they can't understand each other. And the other, confusion is unifying them so they can understand. In one story, the languages disperse people, and the other, it brings them together. And then if you look at this table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, You count how many nations came from Noah's son. Well, there's 16 of them there, just like in Acts 2. 
And if you map out those 16 nations where they settled, you can Google search Noah's sons in the table of nations, a map. And it's the exact same locations that are listed in Acts chapter 2. So God wants us to see something far more miraculous here than simply some cool language speaking going on. Luke can say that every nation under heaven is represented there, not because he's looking at the first century nations and going, yep, everyone's here, but he's looking back through history going, when everybody spread out from these locations, all of that is represented here. God is doing a reunifying work. In Christ, by his spirit, God is reaching back through history to Noah's day when he spread everybody out and bringing them all back together, filling the earth with his image. So God separated the people at Babel, scattered them all over, and now in Christ, he's reunifying them into one nation. We are going backwards in time as we go forward towards eternity. We're going back to the garden. But you might be wondering as I say this, I don't see in Acts chapter 2 where the languages are brought together in one language. I don't see that. and It would have to be that for me to be convinced. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a great observation. You're right that all the languages weren't unified. The people were brought together, but why not the languages? Well, it's because the unification project is not yet complete. We see as we look forward to Revelation that in the new heavens and in the new earth, people are going to gather around the throne from every tribe, language, people, and nation. They will come out of every language and they will sing together with one voice, one unified language, probably not English. But we've got a lot of work to do to get to that point. God still wants to spread his glorious image throughout the world. And he didn't want them to keep it in Jerusalem. So Jesus says, go to the ends of the earth and I will be with you. This was God's plan from the beginning. And the experience in Acts 2 is just the first fruits of this great harvest. Pentecost, the word Pentecost is not an insignificant detail. The reason why so many people are gathered there in Jerusalem in the first place is because three times a year, Jews from all over the world were supposed to gather in Jerusalem and celebrate three great festivals. The first one was the Passover, the beginning of the barley harvest, where they would gather together and celebrate, remembering the time that God delivered them from slavery in Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. And then 50 days later, that's what Pentecost means. 50 days later, they celebrated the Feast of Weeks, which was a first fruits, first fruits harvest of wheat. You go out and gather in your first gathering of wheat and you offer that to God as a sacrifice. And then you can go gather in the rest of your harvest. And then finally, after all the harvests were done, you get to the fall and have your grape harvest. You would celebrate the Feast of Booths. You would make these tents after you're done with the harvest and you would camp in the tents for a week and eat a huge feast with all of the food that you brought in from God's provision in those harvests, enjoying the fruits of your labor. So these are not insignificant festivals that we just read by, but they're all fulfilled in Christ in the church. Jesus is the Passover lamb who by his blood we are set free from slavery to sin. 
And then 50 days after his resurrection, his death and resurrection, he begins this great harvest with a special offering to mark the beginning of this work, the ingathering of all of his fruit. The pouring out of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 is just the beginning of a work that you and I, all of the church, is called to complete. And we don't yet celebrate the Feast of Booths in reality yet because we haven't completed the harvest. We've got a lot of work to do before we get to sit around with Jesus and all the people who are part of the harvest and enjoy the fruits of our labor. We have a lot of work to do to multiply and fill the earth. But thankfully, much of the work's already done for us. Because of the Tower of Babel and the scattering of the Jews all over the earth, God's already done much of the multiplying and filling for us. And now all we have to do is go restore the image in all of them. We get to be as instruments of redeeming people who are broken all around the world. Initially, these two tasks were one. You could have children, be fruitful and multiply, train them up and send them out, and they would themselves have children be fruitful and multiply until the whole earth was filled with people talking about God and loving Him. But everyone failed at that task. So instead of spreading God's glorious image all over the world, they spread His broken image. And now we get to be the instruments of restoring that broken image. Our call is the same. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But it's so much more than just having biological children. It's having spiritual children. Adopt kids. Mentor kids. Take in other adults who need your help. Teach them the gospel and send them out. And so today we emphasize missions on Pentecost Sunday because the great harvest is not yet complete. Jesus tells us the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into the harvest along with us. And so we pray for that. And we preach calling for more laborers. When finally we can be the ones to gather in the whole harvest and celebrate and rest in the booth with Jesus, with people from every language. He's already begun the work and he promises to us like he promised to Abraham that it will be a completed work. We can be sure of it. The question is for us, how are we going to engage in this wonderful work? How are we going to be part of it? Well, one of our core values here at Redemption City Church is mission. We want to be an evangelistic, church-planting, mission-sending and supporting church. That means every single one of us is called to be on this mission of filling the earth with God's glory. So we do that by telling our neighbors and our co-workers about restoration of God's image in Christ. We do it by starting churches around town and around the region by sending some of you to be core families and leaders in those churches. In the spirit of going to the ends of the earth as Jesus commanded us, God willing, some of you will be raised up and go to unreached people groups, to languages, and be an instrument of redeeming them from the curse. If you're here today and for the first time are realizing this big mission that God has been on since the beginning of the world and you have been totally ignorant of it, and realizing that your image is broken as well and you need salvation, 
then I encourage you to repent and trust in Christ today and then join us on this wonderful work of God. He's the Passover lamb who came to shed his blood and bear the punishment for all of the curse in your life. And you trust in him and he makes you clean and makes you able to display his glorious joy and love throughout the earth. And if you've already done that, then I want you to ask yourself today, how is God calling you specifically to join on this mission? How has he equipped you and given you the spiritual gifts in order to be a blessing to others in this task? For some of you, it might mean becoming more committed to motherhood and raising up yourself, future image bearers and missionaries. Or it might mean you more boldly proclaim Christ in your workplace. We've got an incredible opportunity here in Rochester that Mayo Clinic brings millions of people from all over the globe right here to this little city. And your simple interaction with one of them could plant the seed of the gospel in them and they will take it to the ends of the earth for you. What an opportunity we have to obey Jesus right here in this city. Perhaps your family will one day be part of a core group in a couple of years, sending out a new church. Or maybe God now is stirring in your heart a desire to go to an unreached people group, a language that does not yet have God's word and proclaim the glories and the mighty works of our God. Whatever God's calling you today, I want to encourage you after the service to come and talk to me or maybe Jake so we can help pray with you and discern those next steps in your life that you could join us on faithful mission with God to fill the earth with his glory. Let's pray. God, as I think about that upper room experience when the Holy Spirit suddenly came in and overpowered them, I think I desperately want that for us. Pour out your Spirit now in us. Not so that we can simply have a cool toy and speak in other languages, but so that we would be emboldened for missions and proclaiming of the gospel. So we could love our neighbor as you have loved us. God, fill us. Fill us with your power so we could be on mission and give us endurance until the day when you finish your gathering of your harvest and we rest in the heavenly tabernacle with King Jesus. Amen.